Welcome to the I Love Winnipeg Real Estate Podcast, your premier resource for buying, owning, and investing in Winnipeg's real estate market. And now, here's your host, Adrian Schultz, who loves all things real estate, property management, and mortgage financing. I'm joined today by Whelan Sutherland on the I Love Winnipeg Real Estate Podcast. Welcome, Whelan. Hey, good to be here. Thank you so much. What is your role in the overall former Capion Barracks development? Well, I'm I'm, the, I'm currently the chief executive officer, so I oversee the Treaty One Development Corporation and our as uh, the T1DC, as we like to call it. My primary focus is to, since our inception in 2018, is basically just to organize our communities and then create that unified front and be able to position us to to develop the property. So a lot of exciting things, and then there's uh, another faction which is our Treaty One Nation. And the nation there is designed to create our governance structure, to implement our constitution, and basically give the ability of our Treaty 1 First Nations to work well and in unison with each other. Now, I think the street name for this, it's called an urban reserve, but I believe you've come up with a more sophisticated term. How are you referring (laughs) to this? Well, we call it an urban economic development zone. And again, you know, um, just addressing the elephant in the room, there are some negative connotations that have developed. And we see it all over the place. I mean, with any developer, I'm sure that you as a developer have run into, you know, uh, negative comments and things like that. And the way that we're combating it is through information. So we found and we're very, very fortunate that it is a very prime real estate property and with the proper information, we've, we've changed a lot of minds already. So I'm very proud of that. And are there other organizations involved with it? Or is it just Treaty 1 and its, its organizations attached? No, there, there are I mean, 160 acres in total. Uh, 50 of those acres are, have been allotted to Canada Lands Company. And with Canada Lands, we have a really good relationship with them. I'm sure, uh, you know, for those of you that don't know, they're, they're Canada's developer. And the, what we liked about them is, is you know, they're well capitalized. They, they have a good track record and they've developed properties and increased the value of those properties. So that's that adds a lot of uh, confidence for us as, you know, new new players in the game to come out. So we do have a really, really good, strong relationship with them. And our, our primary focus right now um, for the development is uh, below grade. So we're working with them. We are partnered with them to ensure that all the uh, uh, facilities have water and sewer and anything else that's required to uh, address those areas. On a high-level overview perspective, uh, perhaps bird's-eye view, what kind of things can the community expect to see on the development or on the land in the near future? Well, you know, I got to speak a little vaguely. It's going to be multi-use for sure. You know, right now we do have, and we are finalizing our master plan. It should be unveiled, the final draft unveiled to the general public end of February. And with that, I mean, we're, we're looking at retail, commercial and, and philanthropic. I mean, we wanted we want, you know, community events to happen in the facility. We were very happy to uh, announce that we're working with the University of Manitoba's architect students and they've donated their time to be able to work with us on, on developing the, the green spaces in that area. There are retention ponds and, and you know, we want to make it a, a very fine place to come and live, play, eat, shop and just enjoy the general environment. So we do have a plan, which we're going to unveil. We we have been working on block 
A. I wish, uh, you know, for the folks out there. But if you visit our website, you'll be able to see it, the breakdown, block A, B, C, D, and E. And right now, block A is primarily our development. And as developers, as Treaty 1, our main focus there is to develop that area and, and for the benefit of our Treaty 1 communities. For expected timeline, when would the first physical building be erected? Well, I mean, going going back again at a very very high bird's eye view level, I mean, we're 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 making a few assumptions. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, we our 150 year anniversary is coming up for well, the anniversary on on August 3rd of 2021, 150 years since the um, the signing of Treaty the original Treaty One. So we wanted to have a major announcement at that time and soon thereafter put shovel to ground. And, you know, depending on the size and scope of the building, you know, if it's 10 months to 13 months uh, of build time, then 2022, uh, we want to be open for business and, and you know, addressing and providing any products or services to our community members. And I mean community members in general. When we say multi-use, just to give listeners a bit of a perspective, multi-use developments, especially within cities, can contain... Uh, obviously, resident, multi-unit, single-family residential, as well as retail and office commercial, and then, you know, open uh, spaces, community spaces. You know, obviously, this is a critical part of the city. And from the residential perspective, would one expect to see rental residential or condominium residential? You know, it's going to be... It, it depends. It's going to be market driven, right? Um, so for Block A, we do have something scheduled in regards to addressing um, residential issues, but that would be primarily focused on in our positioning right now is looking at apartment facilities. Because again, it's it's going to be open for the general public, and uh, you know we want to make sure that it addresses the needs. The good thing, what I, what I will say is, this is all based on feedback that we received from some of the uh, information sessions that we have. We have a podcast as well as, and we have a messenger's radio or a messenger show that we have on Facebook and we do a messenger's radio show on NCIFM. And we did have an information session and we had about 600 people attend at the site last year. And we had questionnaires and some of the questionnaires that uh, we received again uh, at, at the beginning, you know, people were very, very honest in, in their feelings and, you know, there was what they required was a lot of information. So once we did and addressed that, we had another questionnaire and it actually changed the minds of people. So does someone have to be First Nations to live on the property or to work on the property? Absolutely not. No, we're, we're it's an urban economic uh, development zone. And uh, if you look at other key strategic areas throughout Canada, using Saskatchewan as an example, they have 61, I think there's 66 now, urban economic development zones operating. And, and thriving. We, uh, thriving. And we went to our good friends, uh, Satina, give a shout out to Satina First Nation in, in Alberta. And the story behind that is, is they were positioned, I think it was 14 kilometers away from uh, Fort Calgary, a long, long time ago. And Calgary grew, 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 and it grew around them. And uh, there was a ring road similar to the perimeter highway that was required for the city of Calgary, went right through the property, as opposed to have taking a stance where, you know, you cannot, uh, you cannot do that on a property. They embraced it and they developed it. And now it's uh, mutually beneficial. It meets the needs of the city of Calgary. And for Satina, what they negotiated was uh, entrances and egresses off the site. And now they just opened up their, the first Costco on an urban economic, economic development zone 
in Canada. So, so uh, such a zone really gets fully integrated and woven into the fabric of the community as a whole. It is not squared off, you know, in its own. It becomes part of the community very rapidly. And, and is that a, a fair statement? It is absolutely a fair statement. It's, it's integrated right into the process. The average person will never know un- unless you, you know, you check your history. You'll you'll understand a little bit more in regards to, you know, understanding the, the differences in the land. But for the average person coming into shop, they'll never know. Yeah. What are the primary benefits to the community as a whole? Well, you know what, I'll, I'll start off with the city of Winnipeg. Obviously, you know, we're, we're looking at this as an economic stimulant to, to the city of Winnipeg. I mean, they're obviously going to be uh, municipal services that they're going to be collecting. You know, again, that's something that we're very committed to because, you know, you need services, you need emergency, you need water, sewer, all that good stuff. So we're in the process of doing that. And economic zone in general, we want people to come there and work. We want businesses. There's lease, lease opportunities there. So anybody you have a good idea and uh you know we're, we're positioned as developers we work with you and either uh, develop the site for you or uh, figure out a way to to bring your business idea forward so it's open to everybody it's it's not just segregated to first nations it's going to be open to anybody i personally live four or five blocks away from the former capion barracks land we actually regularly go for walks and bike rides right around there. Actually, right now, I think we may be unlawfully biking through the land. I'm not (laughs) sure what the rules are, but uh, uh, it's okay. Some neighboring residents wrongly assume that this development would negatively affect their property values. Mm -hmm. What evidence can be offered to counter that assumption? Well, information, I mean, doing the due diligence and research on other urban economic development zones, you could use member two First Nation, um, you know, the property values are far from it. The property values have increased um, because of the uh, the drivers, economic drivers that are associated with their developments, as well as Satina. Satina, they, they have a they have a above market lease rate for their properties and they're getting it. And so in general, I mean, it's far from the truth because, you know, at the, at the end of the day, it's our planning. That's why we're sharing so much information with the general public. And that's how we changed minds already. You know, we we were we had some stats done up and there was a high percentage of people that were didn't understand. And so they, they took a negative stance, um, you know, assuming the stereotypes of First Nation urban reserves. And once we start sharing information and they had access to our plans and our master plan and all that good stuff, it actually changed minds. So we're in the single digits now in regards to the negative feedback that we're receiving. So um, I'm, you know, and, and forgive if it's politically incorrect, but I would say that it was before it was First Nation land. And it certainly is again now what it was in between. Well, it was being used by government. But I would argue that you have a, a high level of appreciation for land, for the country, for nature. You mentioned green space. And I guess, uh, given that this is a a First Nation project, can you elaborate what the community can see, perhaps, or what what could they could hope to expect in green space and in in maintaining a natural element to the development? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I, you know, again, I want to give a shout out to the team. I mean, it's not just a one person show. There's a lot of lot of people working hard. I got to give kudos to our leadership, our communities, as well as our our team in general for you know, working with us and, and really pushing the agenda forward. So um, with that, again, going back to the information and due diligence that we have been conducting, 
and feedback from the neighborhood in the area, Tuxedo, as well as everybody in the general vicinity and, and ensuring that those green spaces are fully utilized. And there's a functionality from a business perspective for them, like the uh, retention ponds. There's a reason why they're there. However, they could be beautiful. They could be a place for people to go and sit and, and feed the ducks or the geese or whatever, whatever's in uh, swimming in the pond. And really at the end of the day, um, you know, the average person would say, well, those are lost leaders. Well, not for us. Those are drivers for us. We want to make sure that people that come and walk and enjoy nature. One of our staff, Tim Daniels, there, one of our my colleagues, he was working with our knowledge keepers and, and some of the feet, knowledge keepers to the average person is, a, is an elder, elder person. And uh, some of the feedback is, you know, let's incorporate some of our traditional medicines and trees. So, you know, you're going to see grass, different types of grasses there. You're going to see um, maybe cedar trees and things like that. So really capturing the essence of and honoring our Indigenous culture while, you know, uh, making a nice environmentally friendly green space that does provide a, a functionality. But in, in, in essence, it addresses the issues of, of people not just wanting uh, bricks and mortar. Yeah, it will not just be a cement jungle. It will not be a cement jungle. It'll be very, very integrated. And that's why, you know, this master plan, again, there's so many people that I could uh, thank. It'd be a long list. However, um, the master plan, we took very, very seriously and, and we put a lot of work, time and effort into it and a lot of feedback. But COVID, you know, COVID, I mean, that's why we're probably doing this right now, but COVID uh, has really affected us. But we've adapted. We're resilient. We've adapted to the environment and we've been addressing issues and concerns through these type of mediums and they've been working well. In every episode, we try to close by asking what do you love about Winnipeg real estate? But for you, better yet, what do you love about having a First Nation urban economic development zone in Winnipeg? And there's two things to that. One is, you know, I love the openness of the city of Winnipeg. I, I, they do recognize that it is coming and embracing it is the main thing. And, you know, providing us that open dialogue to be able to discuss and, and address issues if, if there are and, and work it out. You know, at the end of the day, we're here for the betterment of the, the city of Winnipeg. Uh, we're primarily here as well to better our, our First Nation economic development in our communities. But I really, really enjoy the resiliency of the city of Winnipeg. I love it. I, I live in the city. I live in the heart of Winnipeg and Transcona. So, um, you know, I, and I'm a Jets fan. But uh, <laughs> overall, you know, um, we recognize the importance of of unity and working together. And that's why we're here. We want to make sure that at the end of the day, it's uh, we're building a place, like I said earlier, where people come live, play, shop, and do whatever it is. And it will be, it will be that place, the place to be. Whelan, I think that the city is blessed to have such a project going on. I am grateful that you spent this time with us. And for people who want to learn more and educate themselves on this, where can they find information? They could visit us on our website, www.treaty, the number one, so the number one.ca, so www.treaty1.ca. We have a whole slew of information. You could find out about who we are. You could find about find out uh, and be briefed on all the, the messengers, radio shows, and newsletters that we have out to the general public. And you could there's links there to Canada Lands Company, so you could you could click on the on on our website. There's a link there directly to Canada Lands, so you could um, learn more about them. And you could follow us on Facebook and Twitter, Treaty One Development Corporation. And yeah, so that's the best best ways to keep track of us. And uh, there are links there as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you could send us an email, and it will be addressed. 
Thank you again. That was Whelan Sutherland, CEO of Treaty One Development Corporation, partner in and, and lead in the former Capion Barracks development in uh, Winnipeg. Thanks again. We would. Thanks for listening to the I Love Winnipeg Real Estate Podcast. If you like this episode, please subscribe and give us a rating, which will help us reach more listeners. Until next time, connect with us on social media and online at ilovewinnipegrealestate.ca. 